0: Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: The triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, as reported in today's Gospel reading, is the start of what we now refer to as Holy Week. That week during which the most important, most sacred and holy events of all of human history took place. As we read, the people of Jerusalem and of all the surrounding area of Judea and from many other parts of of the world, in fact, at that time, were gathered together there in Jerusalem for that festival of the Passover. They welcomed Jesus gladly as he entered into that capital city of God's chosen people where where God's holy temple was located. We know from other parts of, of God's word that they had in mind to make Jesus their king. They thought of him as the Messiah, a, a political savior who would lead the the forces of their people and to throw off the oppressive, uh, the oppressive Roman Empire who was ruling them and controlling them and their people and and cheating and oppressing them in, in many ways. They had seen from Jesus' miracles that he could create uh, enormous amounts of food to feed thousands of people from just a little bit of, of bread and fish that he had to work with in the beginning. And so they thought that here is a king who can provide miraculously for all of our earthly needs. We may never have to work again as he miraculously feeds us. And those who are sick and suffering among us can come to him for miraculous healing. Over here we see in our sermon text for today, the second reading from Philippians chapter 2 of the Apostle Paul inspired by God's Holy Spirit, reveals for us the true meaning of these events that we witness, not only on Palm Sunday, but also throughout the rest of Holy Week. First, the Apostle Paul highlights Jesus' role as the obedient and suffering servant of the Lord. We read about this in verses six and seven. Though he was by nature God, he did not consider equality with God as a prize to be displayed, But he emptied himself by taking the nature of a servant born in human likeness we know that jesus the almighty eternal son of god left his royal throne in heaven and took on our humanity in order to suffer and to die as a real human being on the cross he set aside the full use of his power and glory as god yet As the true almighty God, he did still continue to possess that power and glory. He wasn't simply an actor who was pretending to be God. No, he himself is the true eternal God. But during his lifetime on earth, he didn't flaunt that divinity and glory that was his as God. He didn't make a show of it in order to gain favor, to to make an easy life for himself with with plenty of people serving him and, and answering his every uh, beck and call and desire. He didn't use his power and glory as God to, to make an impression and, and to attract a, a following for his own glory. And we see that the burden of his ministry and his redemptive work was the exact opposite, that he emptied himself. He emptied himself of his Divine power and glory. He voluntarily, willingly did not make full use of that power and glory that is his as God. He took on human flesh in order to bear all of the suffering that you and I and and other people on this earth undergo in our lives to suffer
0: pain, to endure hardship, to experience poverty, to hunger, to thirst. To weep at the death of his friend and finally to die in utter shame and humility yet all through his whole life without once sinning against God's commands he was
1: fully divine fully God and truly fully human at the same time and as God's suffering servant as the one that God had promised through his prophets of old in the Old Testament, again and again, that that God would send into the world to rescue God's people from their sins and and to give them eternal life. We read in verse 8 of our reading that Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus took on himself himself all of the sins of all people who have ever lived and who ever will live in the future and he died the humiliating and excruciating criminal's death that those sins of ours deserve death on a cross at jesus time was considered to be the most shameful way to die because it was just that it was a criminal's death a public execution with a person's naked body hanging there, helpless and and suffering and tortured, there on public display for all to see and mock and ridicule. Think about that contrast. Think about the contrast between what we read in today's Gospel reading about the applause and the pageantry of Palm Sunday, with the crowds welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem, waving palm branches and laying them down in his path, even taking off their cloaks and and spreading them in the path for Jesus' donkey to walk on and perhaps do other unmentionable things on as the donkey passes. But they did that willingly as a sign of their honor and respect for Jesus, trusting in, in him, having come to believe in him from what they had seen of his miracles and heard of his powerful teaching as perhaps being the Savior that God had promised to send. But I'll think about those events of Palm Sunday, the the glory and the acclaim of the crowd, in contrast, sharp and utter contrast,
0: just a few days later on Good Friday, with the utter rejection, scorn, mockery, and torture, and finally the, the shameful death on the cross.
1: On Good Friday, Jesus did not suffer as a hero of the people, suffering a martyr's death, receiving great admiration and support from the crowds who did not want him to die. No, there was no halo of earthly glory surrounding his death. Instead, he was regarded as suffering without honor.
0: His death was one of a despised, rejected, Criminal, the lowest of the low, the scum of the earth. In verse five of our reading, the Apostle Paul says to us, to all believers in Jesus, let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He's urging those
1: Christians in Philippi two thousand years ago, and all Christians of of every era ever since, including us today have this same attitude of humble selfless self-sacrificing concern for others this should be the model for every christian and for every christian community for every christian church jesus own ministry and his mission was characterized by a personal regard for the best interest of others and that also ought to be the image of Christ's church today in the world. Since the church, since all believers are the body of Christ with Jesus as our head, we also will strive to empty ourselves of, to empty the church of ostentatious power and and authoritarianism and
0: self-seeking attitude and and seeking our own glory, and instead remember our role as servants. This attitude of Jesus ought to inform also our personal, individual attitudes
1: as Christians. Jesus laid aside his glory as God and assumed the role of a humble, lowly servant. So what other role is there for Christians who believe in him and follow him? Since we have the attitude of Christ, we have to remove pride and vanity and instead, seek a more accurate role and view of ourselves as Christians. And that's just what the Apostle Paul expresses in the verses just before the beginning of our sermon text for today. As he begins in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, saying, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being united in spirit, and having one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in humility consider one another better than
0: yourselves. Let each of you look carefully, not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others.
1: And so as God's servants, increasingly, we ought to learn to serve him and
0: to serve other people rather than serving our own selfish interests and goals. then in the second half of our reading
1: from Philippians chapter 2, we see the Apostle Paul portraying Jesus as the exalted Lord and ruler of heaven and earth. Beginning in verse 9, we read, Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus' advancement to the full possession and the full use of his divine honor and glory and power is declared and affirmed. Those who rejected and who mocked him while he hung on the cross have have disappeared now that Good Friday is past and over. Now those who acclaim Jesus as Lord, cover every realm in heaven and on earth and even under the earth. At the mention of Jesus' name, every knee bows in submission, whether willingly or unwillingly. Every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. All inhabitants of far-flung corners of heaven and earth Feel the greatness of his power and his majesty. Angels and the whole company of heaven sing songs of praise to him. Saints above in heaven and below here on earth burst forth in songs of victory and thanks and praise to our Savior. And even Satan and his legions of evil angels also must acknowledge. Their utter defeat. Even unbelievers, so vehement in their confession of unbelief and their opposition to Jesus and to all of God's word, must at last grudgingly admit that Jesus really is God.
0: And so in the end, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. This simple statement is
1: the chart and compass of every Christian's life of faith. It's the heart and core of our faith as Christians. From the dawn of creation until the last day of the world, Jesus Christ is Lord. We trust what God's Word says about him. That he is equal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. That, as we just confessed in the Nicene Creed, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. And he took our burden of sin and guilt on himself, suffering the wrath of God's righteousness against our sin.
0: We believe, as God's word says, that he is true God who came In human form as a
1: servant, meekness and humility, not waving banners to exploit his divine glory for his own benefit. The attitude of Christ is certainly the pattern for our earthly Christian life, as God calls us to live not for ourselves, but instead in humble service to one another. Jesus' redemptive work is a confirmation also that we will be like him, that we will see him as he truly is, and that we will share in his glory. Jesus also said on Palm Sunday, as we read in John chapter chapter 12, where I am, there my servant will also be. So Jesus assures us that in eternal glory, we also will be a part of that great company of saints in heaven, bowing before his throne and confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Even if we suffer, suffer terribly with him here on this earth and and walk in the valley of humiliation,
0: he will also let us see and share in the glory of his exaltation. On this Palm Sunday,
1: We're reminded of the vision that we see in heaven as God depicted for the Apostle John and the vision that he gave to him in Revelation in chapter 7. There was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing in front of the throne and of the Lamb, clothed with white robes and with palm branches in their hands. They called out with a loud voice and said, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, the elders and the four living creatures. They fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor
0: and power and might belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. By God's grace, through Jesus our Savior, that, is the glorious, eternal future that we look forward to. Amen.